You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy. As most of us realize, change in a radical way is upon us and the Earth. We as a species are changing, becoming hopefully more attuned to the unity in all life and less attached to the things that separate us. As politics proves itself too juvenile or too corrupt to address the most serious issues of the day, hunger, housing, health care, equality, earth changes, a new humanity is being born, and our children are showing us this is so. Our guest this hour, author of Children of the Fifth World, A Guide to the Coming Changes in Human Consciousness, a Bear and Company 2012 release, shows us that even though she studied the near-death phenomena most of her life and comes to the subject of a shift in consciousness, she sees it in our children. She's tracked this as a detective would, as she writes, taught by her father, a policeman. Join us for a wonderful and hopeful discussion of PMH Atwater's book about where humanity is going and why some who are leading the way are children born since the 1980s. Dr. Atwater, thank you for joining us. Well, it's just been too long, Zoe. Hello again. Hi. It has been quite some time since we last talked. So you start at the very beginning of your book by saying there are positive and negative tendencies that we can see in the several decades of children born since the 1980s. So why don't you first give us that big picture, the positives and the negatives? Okay. Well, you, you, you want then to look at the characteristics, the profile? Sure, that would be helpful. Um, on the plus side, they're very intelligent, even if they're flunking in school and can't spell. Don't let that fool you. About one-third are geniuses, even if learning disabled. I mean, take another look at these kids with autism. Uh, If they're taking the Ravens test instead of the regular test, they're testing out 150 to 160, just like these other smart kids are. They're highly music-oriented and very rhythmic. They're unusually creative, spiritually minded. They're... They're intuitive and psychic, and many remember past lives. For them, that's no big deal. They're excellent with math. Again, don't let these kids fool you. They're natural-born healers. They're ready-to-go entrepreneurs. They're irreverent. They're quirky. They're unique. They're visionary problem solvers. They're very knowing. They're volunteer-minded. They're humanitarians. You've got kids you know, as, as young as four and five that are starting up these big drives for water in Africa and all over, going door to door and, you know, doing incredible things, even at those young ages. They're groupies. They move as if part of of a collective. They often attend night school in addition to dreaming. They abstract at very young ages. They're spatial learners. They believe in and practice a fusion of sex, uh, of the sexes and gender mixing. These kids are multi-sensory, multi-channelers who live in a multiverse. That's on the plus side. If you want to get into the negative side, they're very impatient. Uh, They're very impulsive. They're the quick click kids. They feel entitled. Many are overconfident. They're um, the ultimate consumer. There's an underlying anger in these kids because they have little tolerance for lies and manipulation. They prefer astral and synthetic worlds. They're highly sensitive to drugs 
and processed foods and toxic or incoherent electronic energy. They do not assimilate nutrition well at all. They have no um, inborn concept or desire to follow along with any form of authority. They need mentors, not bosses. Many appear wiser than they are. Self-deception, though, is is a big issue with these kids. They're very sensitive to what we call trickster energy or, or possessors, the, these kinds of psychic attachments. They do not understand the need to process or refine or get a degree or, you know, improve your work. Because for most of these kids, it, it, they've got the knowledge right there. So they don't understand why they have to go to college and get a degree to, um, to signify what they already know. They expect things to come to them. They don't recognize boundaries, even that of skin. Clothes are often more important than language. But their greatest fear is silence. It's like they're, you know, it's like most of them don't even know nature anymore Mm -hmm. and this idea of of silence. Well, and it is so interesting because when you start talking about the change of DNA, and we've talked on this program for years about morphic resonance, how when one person does something well, like a group of people clearing a path in the woods, the next group of people walk through effortlessly. So it's it's almost as though these kids who many are the children of the baby boomers, who sort of had a very spiritual hookup, but also a very rational background. You know, most of us came after World War II and learned in sort of the factory methodology of learning, of processing information and spitting it back out, which for many of us was extremely boring. And so I think (laughs) our children um, inherited that kind of um, acceptance that there's something much larger than this picture of the factory. Well, you you know, these kids, we need to realize their first view of the world is through a screen. Right, exactly. And, And that's very sobering. Well, you know, and, for the rest of us, our first view of the world is the world. I mean, we're out the door. Right. But not these kids. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. I've talked about that with Joseph Chilton Pierce and others, and I saw you quoted him in this one particular part of the book, which I, I found astounding, that he said between 1990 and 2000, that's a 10-year period, 55,000 children were killed by other children. Right. But let's talk a little bit about what's happening with these, you know, what happens actually to the brain in terms of toggling it on and toggling it off. You talk about that and what that's doing to people, particularly young people's ability to feel. Well, plain and simple, technology has outpaced biology. And, and, and that's a fact. So, so we are looking at brain structure changes. We are looking at brain function changes. We are looking at changes in, in the nervous system. So, in, you know, in the new digital world with most of these, these kids having a possessing or using electronic devices, the first thing that gets lost is emotions. You know, it, um, they no longer have the ability to recognize emotions on a person's face. They don't see that person, you know, one-to-one. They no longer recognize emotions in a person's voice. They, they, they can't, you know, they can no longer recognize the different swings in, in character and personality and what's going on. And they're losing language. I mean, this is serious. Um, we used to have 
you know, you you and I maybe had 40,000, 50,000 words. These kids have maybe 12,000. And so when we look at this sort of, it, it's interesting because it's true in any generation and in any person's life experience, what we don't use weakens. And so when you don't use a certain part of the brain and it's not developed through obviously imagination and play, which is really the most important thing to build a self-mastered person. So these children's sense of play is not imaginary. It's constantly being given input, input from somebody's game of violence or somebody's stupid little cartoon that's violent. Talk to us a little bit about, though, because it now is happening with toddlers where people are teaching, trying to teach their children how to use these machines before they're really even able to have relationship. Well, the first thing I recommend, no computers, no television, nothing like that until after the age of two, preferably the age of three. And then start adding it in little by little as you go along, month by month, year by year. And the magic cutoff seems to be puberty. So that if you can sort of regulate it up until the age of puberty, then after that, the child seems to be able to handle those kind of energies and that kind of incoherent, you know, electronic um, energy much better. It doesn't seem to hurt them as much. But if you start them out full blast, you know, we've now got uh, computers for four-year-olds. Uh, in the state of, of, of North Carolina, for instance, in nursery school, they're starting them out uh, learning how to run a computer. Four years old. And, you know, and, and they're, not, they're not teaching cursive writing anymore. So when the kid is in, in junior high, uh, they don't even know how to write their own name. They have no idea how to write their own name. This is happening right now. I know because I have a granddaughter in North Carolina and she has no idea how to write her name. It's extraordinary. And so when you lose these sort of limbic talents, the ability to even use, execute something with your hands, it is a weakening within your ability to execute your will. And so, so I can see how that would lead to this necessity of being satisfied immediately, particularly because the whole computer methodology and typing rather than writing is an immediate gratification system. Well, what, what, you're, what you're really losing here is the, bit, the ability to reason. These are really smart kids. I want to emphasize that. They're geniuses, and, and they're able to do things and figure out things like we've never seen before. But when it comes to basic barnyard reasoning, that, that, you know, they're lost. Well, you also pointed out something that others have started to really examine with a degree of fear or concern, is that they're extremely indulged. We're talking about since the 1980s. And there's a disassociation is rampant, meaning bullying, murdering, this lack of respect for others. So as you point out, this is not all good news, this acceleration of technology into the youth population. Talk to us a little bit about what disassociation is and why it seems to be accelerating with the replacement of deeper relationship with kind of like this, I don't know what you call it, it's an artificial relationship. Well, again, we go back to this, this inability to be able to feel. So if a guy wants to break up with a gal, he just simply picks up his cell phone or his little device and just says, you know, goodbye, you know, don't want to see you anymore, that's it, period, gone. And and the gal on the other end is is, is like, 
stunned. You know, there, there's no talking it out. There, there's no discussion. There's no debate. There's no, I'm sorry. There, there's no touching. There's nothing but, but just this, these words in the air that says it's over. And, and so where, where do you put that in, in a relationship? You can't put it in a relationship. Um, you know, it, it's very superficial. It's very hollow. It makes you feel like, like you're not a person. You're not a real full person. So, you know, that's a real challenge with these kids. And another real challenge with these kids that, that, that we're just finding out about as of last year when, it, when uh, the stats started coming out and, and the various professionals started talking about it, and that is drugging these kids, especially learning disorders, when they're young, maybe seven or eight, maybe ten. So they're taking these, these drugs from then on. Well, certainly some of them need them. Uh, you know, I'm not saying a totally, you know, get rid of them all. But, but, but the way that we're doing it, the frequency and the dosages and year after year after year, what we're finding is now, though so this, this is, just grabs me, now we're, we're finding that many of these kids that have been dosed all their life are now grown up, they're now adults, and they don't know what love is. You know, it's like stop and think. I want to recommend a book to everybody. It's called Dosed, The Medication Generation Grows Up. And it's by one of these kids, a lady. Her name is Catlin Bell Barnett. Um, when Kat, I forget when she started taking drugs for ADD or ADHD when she was in school, maybe 10, somewhere around then. Took them for the rest of her growing years, and now that she's an adult, um, she's just really scratching her head to know and to feel what love is. You know, people describe it. Mm-hmm. She really wants to get into it, but it isn't there. You know, it's interesting. For years, I interviewed back in the 90s Dr. Peter Bregan, who did a great deal to talk about this early on, about the impact of Ritalin as one example on all these kids. And, of course, the majority, if not all, of the school shooters are young boys who have been on psychiatric drugs or withdrawn from psychiatric drugs. We know it creates mania, depression, disassociation. So I used to joke when Nancy Reagan was the first lady and they had the Just Say No to Drugs program, I used to mimic it and say, Just Say No to certain drugs, which was just say yes to the pharmaceutical drugs and nothing to any mind-altering drug that might actually put you in touch with your spiritual self. So, you know, I always thought, because I watched kids as my daughter was growing up, who's now 26, so she falls into this age group of children born since the 1980s. And I used to notice that it was the most interesting, most unusual, most spontaneous children that they immediately put on Ritalin because they were bored in school and they were a lot to handle, but they were the most exciting future for, I thought, that whole generation of kids. So I agree with you that I think we have drugged a lot of our geniuses into just numbness. Well, yeah. I mean, when when I was a kid, we got by with a lot compared with what you could get by with now, which is practically nothing. Oh, yeah, I would have been rid of it. And we were very creative. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was always outside on the top ledge, outside the windows, walking around the school. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> on the ledge. <laughs> 
Now no, it's really true. <laughs> now you'd probably sent home. You'd be kicked out of school. You'd probably have a record for violence. You know, yeah. self-inflicted danger. Anyway, we're going to take a little break, and then we'll be right back. Our guest is PMH Atwater and her book, Children of the Fifth World, A Guide to the Coming Changes in Human Consciousness. We have a link directly to her website at www.2121stcenturyradio.com. Hello, this is Jeffrey Mishlove speaking. I'm the Dean of Transformational Psychology at the University of Philosophical Research. I think you might enjoy visiting our website, www.uprs.edu. If you're interested in a master's degree in transformational psychology or consciousness studies, and you're listening right now to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, I have to say, Dr. Zoe is an incredible resource. She has been doing these interviews now for three decades, and that makes her a great maven, a great sage, a font of wisdom, and a fabulous interviewer. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio. I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. You're listening to our guest, Dr. P.M.H. Atwater, who you can stay up to date with at her website, www.pmhatwater, A-T-W-A-W-T-E-R, that's the word at, water, I don't know that I spelled that properly, .com. And of course, there's also a link at 21st21stcenturyradio.com. You know, something you said in your book um, that I thought was pretty extraordinary. I'm looking for my note because it was about, oh, here it was. It was about the t- about the amount of television and what happens to girls and boys. You wrote that the more television a girl watches, the fewer options she sees in life for herself. On the flip side, the more TV a boy watches, the more his views become sexist. And I was thinking to myself, you know, it's no wonder then that sex trafficking is now one of the largest, I think it's like the third largest. It is the third largest industry. Did you get that? Yeah. I didn't say crime. I said it is the third largest industry in the world. In some countries, it, it is their largest um, um, item on, on the, what is it called, the GNT? Mm-hmm. It's extraordinary. I mean, it's, it's stunning what's going on here. You know, if you just watch television and the commercials and, and any given show, it's the guy who's the hero, it's the guy who's free, it's the guy that's out there doing whatever principally he wants to do, and it's, it's the gal who's wearing the flimsy clothes, even on Christian television. It is the gal who's wearing the flimsy clothes, has the pretty hair, once in a while makes a decision for herself, but is mostly the sex object. Mm-hmm. And it's still that way. Oh, it's, I'm always amazed that even girls at just such young ages, and you see it in the, what is it, the tiara thing on television, toddlers oh, and yeah, tiaras, toddlers. it's sickening. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 sort of this objectification of girls as property again. It's no different than biblical times when women were owned as chattel. It's, and you would think after the women's movement in this country that we would see a shift in Hollywood and a shift in the kinds of opportunities that women are given. You yeah, know, but yet, dear, the Equal Rights Amendment never passed. Mm-hmm. We never got it. They, uh, they say, well, there's enough laws on the books now that it protects women. Forget it. Until you have that Equal Rights Amendment, you do not have full protection. 
Well, and I remember during the recent Super Bowl reading an article about the fact that trafficking in girls and women was the largest crime in the country, and it happened during Super Bowl time, wherever Super Bowl happens to be. Yeah. And that is just an extraordinary reality. That's where we get reality. back to sexual slavery as, as the, the third leading industry in the world. It makes that much money. Well, later in the evening, we're talking with Jean Shinoda Bolin, and she's been working on the advocacy for a U.N. Fifth World Conference on Women, and their focus this year worldwide is exactly on this, is trafficking in women and girls, women and children. Oh, I mean, thank little boys heaven too. they're focusing in, on it. But it is. It's an enormous problem. So back to this Children of the Fifth World, the title of your Bear and Company 2012 relief. There, there are things about these children that each of us as older mentors, parents, grandparents, teachers, community workers can do to sort of help them in ways that are that's constructive well you know really really good thing is to be a mentor not to be a parent not to be a boss not to give them orders all the time but to be a mentor these kids will talk to you you can talk to these kids and and they really and they need to be listened to it's not just that you're talking to them all the time, but you're listening to them because they have a lot of ideas, and they're very good ideas. And, and if you would just do that, that simple thing, just be a mentor, no matter who you are, be a mentor to, to our new ones growing up, to listen to them and to maybe engage them in some of these activities and ideas that they have, that's all it takes, and and they're, you know, they're not only running with it, but but they're, you know, they're making changes that are just fabulous. But again, we have to be careful. And one of, uh, you know, I'm going to go back a little bit to some of the things we said before because I don't think we really realize how big this is. I would say that the biggest talent of today's children, I would say for anyone born since 1982, so we're talking about some of the kids maybe that are now in their 30s. So they're not really kids anymore. They're kids to me and you, but they're not kids, you know, technically. Um, when they, 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 flat out, their greatest talent is, is their ability to abstract and deal on the conceptual levels. They start doing this. From the, you know, from uh, their earliest talking, so that's like two, maybe two and a half. They start abstracting, and and I'd like to give the audience just a little sample of what I mean by abstracting, and then I, I don't, then I want to make my point. Um, we're talking about two and a half year old Michaela, and she's in a discussion with her mother. They're talking about something, and Michaela gets angry which these kids often do get very impatient, and she goes stalking, stomping up to her mother, and then she takes her finger and waggles it in front of her mother's nose, and she said, I don't know the word for that yet. Now, what two-and-a-half-year-old can make a comment like that? Uh, example number two. This is from my near-death work, but it's still the same thing, the ability to abstract, because you find it so much with children and adults who come back from near-death uh, states, near-death experiences, and immediately start abstracting, especially with children. And this is a, this is a six-year-old. He's first grade. He's in Atlanta, Georgia. 
Uh, he uh, dies from a drowning about halfway through the school year. They were able to save him, resuscitate him, bring him back. So when he's finally able to get back to school, now stop and think here. First grade, what are they reading? They're reading C, Spot, Run, Dick, and Jane. This boy comes back reading Greek mythology, and he he goes up to his teacher and asked her, why was the book Robinson Crusoe ever written? It's like overnight. This kid is abstracting. You know, they, they talk about thinking outside the box. These kids never knew a box was ever there to begin with. Well, you, one of the things you said about it is that they aren't necessarily wiser; they're conceptualizers, which means they don't rationalize; they leap. Which reminds yeah, me very it's, much it's of incredible, but it, but that that really is their greatest talent. And and in a study that was done in England, they found fifty percent of the kids were losing the ability to ab- abstract by puberty. And and so they you know did a big search to find out why. And, and the culprit was the electronics themselves, um, that the idea of a screen. Um, it wasn't just um, there were kind of shows that are on TV or it wasn't just iPads or, you know, this kind of thing. It was that whole, you know, the whole genre. And my thought is, of course, you know, limiting usage until they're up to puberty, but get them more involved in gardening, get them more involved with animals, get them out the door, get them involved with with the kind of chores where they either have to scrub or wash or somehow use their hands uh, to where they're, they have to feel things like surfaces and texture. If you do that, You'll bring a lot of the abstraction back. You know, it's so interesting to listen to you talk. I feel like I'm listening to some, you know, it's like when the grandparent would said, oh, in our generation. But but the difference now between how those of us who grew up in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, or even those who grew up in the 60s, we still had this connection to nature. And that is what they talk about worldwide is this disconnect right. from nature overall has had such a numbing impact on our sense of our relationship to the earth, which, of course, leads to all kinds of abuses. But I thought one of the studies that you talked about was just so fascinating about um, the difference between kids born in Iran and kids born in Afghanistan. Well, you know, um, and, and, and kids born in China and India and all these kind of different places, um one of the things I noticed with children born in Iran, and, and this is this is specifically, we're talking timing here. Right. Uh, we're talking about from about, what was it, about 1980 to 1990. Um, I think it started a little bit sooner than that. Uh, I don't have all the figures right in front of my face here. But when I had that big, big overthrow uh, the, of, the, of the Shah of Iran and got rid of the guy, that then they had this big push to have children. So they would pay the parents, especially the mothers. They had good child care. They, they had a lot of emphasis on good food, uh, good education. We're going to take care of our kids. We're going to have this big push 
and oh yeah, that that's right. That that push was in the '80s. Started uh, actually a little sooner than that. All of the '80s and up to '90. This big push. Well, when you do that, when when you when you have this guarantee of good parenting, good food, good education, that then frees the, uh, 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 the those special lobes in the brain, the frontal lobes in the brain to bloom and grow. They're they're free. They're often called the wings of the brain because. Um, that's where we get our integrity and able to make choices, that fairness. That all comes from these prefrontal lobes. And those lobes only develop in that manner freely and expandedly if the mother feels safe when the child is in the womb. So these were mothers that, that, that you know, they... They really felt safe and wanted and needed for their country. So they gave birth to all these kids uh, up until, see, they, they reversed that law, I think, what was it, 1991, 1992, somewhere in there. And, and you know, that special program no longer existed after that. Well, those kids that were born in that period who could have expanded temporal lobe development, those are the children exactly the adults that have been um, uh, on the streets objecting and doing everything they can to bring down the Ayatollahs because they feel those people are ruining their country. So they're the, you know, they're the ones who are on the street fighting, specifically them. The, the kids in Afghanistan never got that chance. It's very interesting because one of the things most of the people I've interviewed who are technological wizards are speaking about the change in how we operate in the world as as human and machine and the interface between the two. We know the human and we know the machine. We don't yet know the interface. And some of the things, as you're describing, we're finding out are very detrimental to certain aspects of human development. But you had an... Um, I think you mentioned it a little earlier, but I'd like it if you talk about it for a minute, which is about autism, because we have such a high percentage now of autistic children. But from your perspective and many others who have written on the subject, it's not an illness. It's it's a condition of a different kind of way of knowing. Did you know that just last week a scientific paper came out? I, I, don't, I didn't bring it upstairs with me. Sorry, so I can't quote it. It's going to be in my next newsletter, though, my free monthly newsletter, uh, where, where I will quote it and, and will give you the link to this paper where they now are able to say that one of the leading causes of autism is these, these frequencies that our children and our homes are now subjected to like from cell phones and routers and modems and all this kind of thing, that they're now able to make a scientific link between what is believed. Uh, 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 they now uh, pretty much can accept and pinpoint that a lot of this kind of energy is 
what seems to be causing or, you know, um, contributing to autism. So I thought I'd just jump in there right away because, you know, this is the first scientific paper I've read where they were able to make that link. And it, it just came out last week. Well, you know, but, I think that... You know, w- when we're talking about autism, I think one of the things we, we need to realize here is... is well, I, I, I'm just going to offer a couple of things here. First of all, if you have these autistic kids take the Ravens test instead of the Wishler test or your standard IQ test, you know, the standard IQ test te- tests crystallized intelligence, what, what you've learned... The Raven's test tests fluid intelligence, what you can learn. So if they take the Raven's test, one-third of them are testing out genius with scores of 150 to 160 and above. So, so the autism is not affecting the intelligence, but rather the ability to express that intelligence. So if we're, if we're looking at it, at it in that manner, then it, it, it's like, wait a minute here, whoa, team, what can we do about this? And I'm going to rec- recommend another book here. came out last year, and it's Gangbusters. So any, uh, any parent who has a child with a learning disorder, especially autism, get this book. It's called Kids Beyond Limits. Uh, I won't give you the secondary title because it's really, really long. It's by Annette Banel. Annette is A-N-A-T-B-A-N-I-E-L. She has developed a way through exercises and certain hand and body techniques to either reverse autism or to... um, weaken it enough that the child is able to function pretty well as as, as a normal child could. Her, um, um, the reversal of these learning disorders, and especially autism, is stunning under her method. And, you know, so you'll probably remember this. When I was a kid, and I, I don't know if you go back that far back or not but when i was a kid the big plague was polio you know people were dropping like flies from polio and i was one of them i got polio when i was four although i had one of the milder cases but we had sister kenny who came out of of australia she was not an md she you know she didn't have all these big degrees but she could look at what was happening to people and especially to those who were being um, chained up, as you will, in all of these uh, metal braces. And she, would, and she was saying, no, that's the wrong way to do it. You expose them to heat, massage, and all this kind of stuff, you can turn this around. And, and she proved it again and again and again. Um, nurses or health care givers who used her method were able to bring, you know, the people back um, without any difficulty, and and that the MDs, the, the you know the, the physicians never did accept her method, and, and she was called Sister Kenny. Well, this Annette Benell is the same kind of thing, you know. She's she's standing up to all these PhDs and all of these psychiatrists and MDs, and she's saying, but 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 but, 
there's another way you can handle this, and if you do it a more natural way, which is her way, you're bringing these kids back. All right, we're going to come back to that when we return. Kids Beyond Limits was the title of that book. You can learn all about this by going to pmhatwater.com. That's www.pmhatwater.com, and we'll be right back. Hello, I'm John Perkins, author of many books, including Confessions of an Economic Hitman, www.johnperkins.org, and you're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, one of my very favorite people and a person who's spreading light around the world, who's really opening us up to the new changes in consciousness that we're experiencing at this incredible time in human history. My hat's off to Dr. Zohara Hieronymus and all that she's doing. She not only represents freedom of the press, but she also represents this new wave of waking up to new consciousness that's going to create a sustainable, just, peaceful world that's thriving for all sentient beings. Keep listening. Dr. PMH Atwater is our guest. Her book, Children of the Fifth World, A Guide to the Coming Changes in Human Consciousness. You can go to her website at www.pmhatwater.com. And if you can't remember that, there's a link, or if you're driving, there's a link on the front of our website, www.21stcenturyradio.com. So there's a lot we didn't get to that's in your book that's extraordinary. I didn't realize that the U.S. is the world leader in dropouts out of high school and that one-third of our graduates don't know enough to get a job or live, quote, productive lives, unquote. Yeah. That's a shocker. Yeah, well, well let, let me give you another one. We, we've got all these popular labels that are being sort of flaunted about and have been for about the last 10 years on these new kids. They call them indigos or crystals or starseed or cosmic or psychic. You know, if, all of those labels really promote exclusive clubs. Um, they're very misleading. They're very exagger- exaggerated. If you take every one of those labels and toss them and instead take the characteristics those labels were supposed to describe, bunch all those characteristics together, and then you have the pattern of these new kids coming in. And if, and if you want to try to understand that pattern in, in some kind of reasonable way that, that really fits what's happening with these children, then I suggest that you go back in time in esoteric literature to the stories and legends and teachings about root races. That's R-O-O-T, root um, the, the idea, then, that humankind in its journey and development in the earth plane went through certain phases, large, sweeping, evolutionary changes of us, us humans, as we be- begin to develop and refine in the earth plane. So if you go back to the, you know, the different understandings of root races, you find that the fifth root race fits exactly what's happening now. They were the masters of communication, or supposed to be the masters uh, of communication and and knowledge, very active, very sexual, um, and and, and the time of of very deep and and expansive changes in genetics, characteristics. This is all fifth root race. 
um, the, the very deep and, and higher consciousness. That's all fifth root raised patterning. And, and we, you know, we take a look at all these labels and, and the new one that's coming out this summer called Golden Indigos, which is supposed to apply to the senior set. And, and I look at all of this and I say, wait a minute, guys, you know, this kind of patterning began around the time of Jesus. There weren't that many, but there were a few. Um, all of the renaissances the world has ever, ever experienced were fifth root race kinds of people. It's like, who do you think started up the renaissance to begin with? Well, you know, and, and when you pattern. talk about, I wanted to add something to the discussion of root races because the theosophical tradition, which has done so much to advance it in the West, talked about the sub-races within the root races. And so these long periods of time of 26,000-some years has these demarcations, 13,000 years, and then smaller subsets. And so we're in the moving into the sixth sub-race of the fifth root race before we move into the sixth root race, which is when yes. we move out of the physical realm into back towards a more spiritual, ethereal existence where we don't need the physical body as we do now. So it's like the Kabbalistic tradition or the Hindu tradition that says of this time, we're sort of at the end of the light coming down and are being hardcore physical beings and then taking the light back up so that we can take the wisdom teachings back to where they come from. So it's a really, it's like, it's a crossover right. time period right now. Right, and, and you you really study that, and you come to realize that that's what ascension is. We are root race in quality and expression, in in its ability to uh, overspread populations and land masses. This is all happening. It is truly ascending in its destiny, and it really began in the 1800s, uh, specifically from about 1840 on. You know, all of this stuff about the New Thought Movement, people like Emerson and, and Thoreau, those are all fifth root race people. So when we look at this time period, and, and I wouldn't disagree, and I think all the world's teachings speak of this time period as this moving towards unity consciousness, right. what's important, though, is to allow these children and these young adults to be more immersed and closer to nature, because it seems to be our oh, role yeah. to elevate the world, not just ourselves. Right. You know, one, one of the things, um, when I began to study and talk to people and talk to educators and everybody else, one of the things I began to realize, and I keep track of stats, have been for, oh, you know, about 16 years or more on these children, and I'm finding that uh, all, it seems like all of the uplifts and downturns are happening in thirds. And it's, it's been consistent now for, for well over a decade and a half, happening in thirds. For instance, about one-third um, are, are geniuses, scores 150 to 160 and up into the 200s. One-third are extremely creative and intuitive and, and, and really smart. About one-third are uh, another third are, are more violent or immoral or, or, or more of the sociopath. If you look at the learning disorders with autism, about two-thirds are boys, a third are girls. With dyslexia, about two-thirds uh, two are girls, one-third are boys. 
uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter where you look, and I talk about this in the book, you keep running into thirds. And, of course, that's sacred geometry. That is the universal movement or expression of balance, harmony, and beauty. So we've got all of this positive and negative running in thirds, consistently being in thirds, and that is simply not possible. So I, as the researcher, am looking at this and saying, wait a minute here, there's another hand at work. And that tells me that the higher energies, the higher sources, God, whatever you want to call it, um, there's divine order here. Um, we're not behind. We're on track exactly where we need to be in our destiny, in our learning, in what needs to be occurring. Thank you so much. And I want to encourage our audience to follow up by reading Dr. P.M.H. Atwater's book, Children of the Fifth World, A Guide to the Coming Changes in Human Consciousness. Visit her website, www.pmhatwater.com. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cortner. I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, and remember, we do need more love in the world.